Let's read it. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that it was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that we can look to you. We ask you to be our teacher today. God, we ask you to come into our hearts through the power of your Spirit and open our eyes to understand your truth and the way that it should affect us. God, we ask that you would, let, that you would cause your word to impact us today. We ask, God, that you would touch us through your word, that you would speak to us, that you, that you would cause it to have a great effect on our lives from our time together this morning. Lord, we ask you to teach us how to run. God, we ask you to help us to run well, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our life of faith is like a long-distance race. And it will not end until you see Jesus face to face. The goal of this passage is for us to keep on running. The goal of this passage is for us to keep on running with the utmost amount of faith and confidence in God all the way to the end. A big part of the motivation for this kind of life is that we are surrounded by others who lived their lives with great faith in God. As this passage says, therefore, since or because a cloud of witnesses surrounds us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The term cloud of witnesses, that's a metaphor for a large crowd, okay? So when, you, when, it, when it says cloud of witnesses, you can think crowd of witnesses. You are not the only person to ever run this race. You are not the only one who has ever had to walk with God through hard things. Your life is not the only life that has required extraordinary faith and effort and endurance. In fact, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of faithful people who have already run the race that you are running now. And many of their lives were unthinkably hard. Many of their lives were unspeakably hard. As we read in Hebrews 11 at the end, it says some were tortured, some were mocked and flogged, some were in chains and in prison, some were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. But... They pressed on. They ran. They pressed on with great faith and endurance. They could have quit, but they didn't. They held fast their faith and their hope 
in God. They were not perfect men and women, but they lived for God. And they lived for the things that God had promised them. That's what their eyes were on. That's what their heart was set on. And they ran with that in mind. These are the kind of people we are to consider as we run our race. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The question is, one of the big questions of, of life for every one of us is, who do you imitate? Who do you keep in mind as your pattern for living? Is it the faithful saints who loved God and served God through incredible adversity? Or is it those people next door who don't seem to care that much about God and are basically living for themselves? Maybe they're not next door, but you know what I mean. Somewhere in your life, there's people that don't care that much about God. If your eyes are on people whose goal is an easy, peaceful, pleasure-filled life, then you will probably struggle with keeping yourself in the race. We are to be conscious of God's people who have already ran their race with great faith and endurance. And this cloud of witnesses are specifically the saints we just read about in Hebrews 11. We've spent quite a few weeks teaching through Hebrews 11. We're talking about Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Moses' parents, the prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Isaiah, and so on. They were all people who overcame great obstacles and endured great suffering to remain faithful to God. The ESV study Bible note on this verse says this, the imagery of being surrounded by these witnesses gives the sense that they are eagerly watching from heaven and the image of running the race that is set before us might lead one to think of an athletic race in a sports arena with all of these heroes of the faith from chapter 11 watching as present-day believers, that's us, take their turn in the same race that they once ran. Sam Storms put it this way, the Old Testament saints are envisioned here as spectators in the amphitheater, because their lives of faith are viewed as exerting on us the same kind of influence and motivation that the shouting crowds had on the participants in an athletic contest. I was never much of an athlete. I wanted to be, I really wanted to be a, a great basketball player. Uh, but I, I, just, I just wasn't, I just didn't have the athleticism, just, but I wanted to be. But I can't imagine the powerful influence that a crowd of spectators can have on a runner or other kind of athlete. When we talk about home field 
advantage in sports. That's because of the influence of the crowd. And so we are to let the Old Testament saints stir our hearts to run and to run well like a crowd of witnesses looking on as we run our race. We are, t- we are to draw encouragement and motivation from their faith and perseverance. I believe that every one of us lives life with an, ima- an imaginary crowd in the stands. I mean, I, I do. I think we, we, we live life with a, some kind of crowd watching us in our mind. We, we all consciously or unconsciously live life before an audience. And the question is, who is your audience? Who is the crowd before whom you live your life? Are you thinking of the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 and people like them, other people like them? It doesn't have to be just the Old Testament saints. It can be other people present and past that you know that have lived their life with great faith and endurance. Are you thinking of those kind of people? Or are you living your life with another crowd in mind? Who are the people in your life whose opinions matter most to you? That's your crowd. Those are the people that you're running your your life before, the people whose opinions matter most to you. Who are the people whom you want to please the most? Who are the people you allow to have the most influence and authority in your life? If they are not men and women of God, you will not do well in running your race for Jesus. The world must not be the people you live for and run for. John wrote, little children, you are from God. They are from the world. That is why they speak from the world's perspective and the world listens to them, but we are from God. Our crowd is to be an entirely different group of people than most people out there live for and run for. The people who believe God, the people who believed God in the past, when it cost them everything, those are your people. Those are your crowd before whom you run your race. Let us also lay aside every weight or some translations say every hindrance. Note the little word, word also. Let us also lay aside every weight. All of God's people have had to lay aside weights. You are not the only one. And we must also lay aside things that hinder us from running our race for God. Weights are different than sins. 
A wait might be a wonderful opportunity you have to do something. It might be a possession that absorbs your time and passions and essentially removes you from the race. There may be nothing wrong with it except that it hinders you from living for God and for God's people. A wait might be something that happened in your past and that has now become your focus and it hinders you from abandoning yourself to God and what He has called you to. Some people are held back by an experience of rejection in their past or a parent who never gave their approval. These are real and painful things, yet if we focus on them instead of the healing power of God's love, they become weights that keep us from going on to maturity in Christ. Here are some of the possible weights of these Old Testament saints. And some of this is just my imagination, but I think you will get the idea. Moses had the weight of not being raised by his own parents and, and his own family. Moses was adopted. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but he was not raised by his own parents. He was taken away from his own parents. He had the weight of the riches and pleasures of Egypt, which he had to lay aside. He had to lay aside those things or they would have hindered him from doing what God called him to. Moses also had the baggage of being a terrible speaker. In fact, that is the weight which almost kept Moses from running his race for God. And honestly, there's been a couple of times in my life, actually more than a couple, there's been several times in my life that the sense of being a terrible speaker has almost pulled me out of the race. I'm not kidding you. Daniel had the weight of being taken from home when he was a teenager and made a captive of Babylon. Just think of, think of that kind of weight. Being yanked out of your home when you're 13, 12, 13, 14 years old and made a slave, taken into slavery in, a, in another culture, in another country. He had that weight. Rahab had the baggage of her past sin as a prostitute. Abraham's weight could have been his desire for security and, and safety, but he laid that aside and went out not knowing where he was going. David had the weight of a son who rebelled against him and actually staged an all-out rebellion to take uh, the throne away from him. Wow, that's a weight. Noah and all the prophets had the weight of preaching to people day after day, month after month, year after year, and getting no response at all. People were not coming up to those guys and patting them on the back and saying, hey, that was a great message. They had the weight of that. And they could have let that hinder them from going on and from running. We all have things that will hinder us from running for God if we do not put them aside. God's word to us, God's word to you this morning is simply lay aside your weight. Lay aside your weights. 
may God, and I offer this as a prayer and I encourage you to pray this with me, may God graciously expose our weights to us so that we may cast them off and be free to run strong and well for Jesus. Let us also lay aside the sin that clings so closely. That's the ESV or the NIV says, so the sin that so easily entangles. All saints in all times have had to deal drastically with their own sins in order to run their race. Again, you are not the only one. Today, almost everyone thinks there is some special circumstance that exempts them from laying aside their sin. I mean, that, that is the message of the world. And many times, I'm ashamed to say it's the message of much of the Christian world. We tend to excuse our entanglement in sin by saying that our situation, our past, our personality, our inherent makeup as a person or something about our circumstances make it impossible for us to lay aside our sins. Yeah, everybody else should, but you know, just, there's something about this situation, about me, about what's happened, that it's impossible for me to lay aside my sin. The devil is a con artist. And he is selling this lie to everyone who will believe it. And when people believe it, they are usually entangled in that sin the rest of their lives. You will never be free from your sin until you believe that you can lay it aside. And we lay it aside with the power of God. And we're going to talk about this later. We lay it aside as we look to Jesus. But if, if you believe that you cannot lay aside your sin, you'll be entangled in that, in that sin for the rest of your life. God's word to us all is simply lay aside that sin that entangles. And let us run with perseverance. We, we're to run our race. We, we all know that. And, and we're to run this race that God has set before us. I mean, there's things that God has called us to that we're, that we're running for, that we're running toward. It's not, it's not just, we're not just running kind of on our own agenda. We're not running our own race course. We're running, we're running the race that God has set before us. And there's a certain way that we're supposed to run, and that's with endurance, or many translations say perseverance. Perseverance means continuing on when it would be much easier to quit. Perseverance is the opposite of surrender or giving up in the face of obstacles. We all know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when stuff happens. Sometimes you just feel like somebody hit you in the, in the stomach and you just, you just want to run and hide and, and quit and get out of the race. But we run with perseverance. I can guarantee you, the Bi I should say the, the Bible guarantees you, tees you that your race will include weariness and tears and battles. Therefore, it will require perseverance. Your race 
that God has called you to will require that you run with perseverance. You run when it's hard. You keep going when it's hard. You keep going when everything in your emotions tells you to do something other than keep running. Ultimately, we find the strength to run our race with endurance by looking unto Jesus. I'm not sure which version. Maybe it's the King James that says looking unto Jesus, but I, I like that. Most of the other translations say looking to Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus. I, I like that phrase, looking unto Jesus. Let us run looking to Jesus. This look, this look to Jesus is what gives us the power to run with endurance. Charles Wesley wrote of the powerful effect upon our hearts that comes just from the name of Jesus. And looking to Jesus, looking at his face has if possible, even greater power and effect upon our hearts. Charles Wesley wrote, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ear, tis life and health and peace. We lift up our hearts to Jesus and, and we consider Him and we worship Him and we are able to run our race as we look at him. When we're in a health crisis or a relationship crisis or we're overtaken by fears or sorrows, it is by looking unto Jesus that we get back, in, back on our feet and back in the race and back to running with endurance. There is, there is deep encouragement and strength in, in turning the gaze of our hearts toward Jesus. As, as we turn our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and our affections to Jesus, as we look to Him, there is deep encouragement and strength. There is power to keep running in looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus renews our, our energy. You know, the Psalm 103 says he renews our youth like the eagle. I mean, that comes from looking to Jesus. If you need, if you need your, your strength renewed like, like, like youth returning to you, it comes from looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus is what revives us and restores our soul to, to this place of running with endurance. Looking to Jesus is more than recalling to mind facts about him. It, it is that. And we consider all that he went through, but it is, it is also looking to him as our present living Savior. He himself said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's right there. He is right there with you for you to look at him. The gospel gives us direct contact with the Father 
And the gospel gives us direct contact with Christ. We all, with uncovered faces, behold the glory of the Lord. By faith, we can go and look right into his face and behold his glory. By faith, we can enter right into the heavenly places and look at him seated at the right hand of the Father. I think one of the reasons I like the phrase looking unto Jesus is uh, an old saint uh, by the name of Isaac Ambrose wrote a book called Looking Unto Jesus. It's like a 2,000-page book <laughs> all about looking unto Jesus. And it, it was written you know, a couple hundred years ago. It, there's, there's some things that are difficult to read in it. But he said this, looking unto Jesus is that great ordinance appointed by God for our highest good. The one who deals immediately with Christ or directly with Christ will bring more blessing to his soul in a day than any other method will bring in a year. David said, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. That's the way we run our race. It's a great verse. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Let's make that our testimony. This means that there are other things that we do not look at. We, we look to Jesus and not to something or somebody else. There's a phenomena in uh, motorcycle riding that is called target fixation. And the principle of this, and it, it's a big deal in, in, in motorcycle safety training classes, but there's, the, the, the idea is this, that if you fix your eyes on an object, you will run into it. If there's a two-by-four in the road ahead of you, you don't look at the two-by-four. You look at the clear open road around the two-by-four so you can avoid it. And I mean, if, you, if you stare at the board, it will draw you into it like a powerful magnet. And the principle works very much the same in spiritual things. We, we don't look at where we don't want to go. Now, it's a double negative, but we don't look at what will make us crash. We look to Jesus, and we keep our eyes on him. And that will take us down the path where we want to go. It will steer us in the right direction by making him our, our target. You know, I've, I've noticed when I've been involved over the years in helping someone who is dealing with a, a bad habit that uh, they said they wanted to quit, usually, or oftentimes, all that person can talk about is that habit <laughs> and trying to quit and making their own promises and resolutions and then, of course, failing. But staring at our sin instead of Jesus will not free us from our sins. Jesus is the one who sets the captives free. Jesus is the one who released us from our sins. In looking to him and loving him and finding our joy and satisfaction in him is the way that we are set free from sin. 
So we run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on our baggage, not even our sins, or not on our past, not on our failures or successes. Robert Murick McChaney said, for every one look at your problems, your weaknesses, your failures, take 10 looks at Jesus. We look to Jesus because he is the author and finisher of faith. He's the alpha and the omega when it comes to faith. He's the beginning and the end. He wrote the book on faith. He's been down here on earth in the fight. He's been tempted. He's been tried. He's been down in the arena with us. And he showed us what faith is in how he endured the cross and despising the shame. And through all the injustice, through all the cruelty, what did he do? He obeyed and trusted his Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. That's faith. So we learn faith by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Looking to Jesus builds in us that quality of faith that keeps us going on. It, it is looking to Jesus and the way that he trusted God helps build in us a kind of enduring faith that will last and endure through suffering and even shame. One of the most amazing wartime uh, feats of endurance was the Russian defense of Stalingrad against the Germans in World War II. And I'm sure John Stites' ears are picking up right, right now as I say that. And he can tell you a lot more about Stalingrad than I can. But I've just finished reading a book on it. And Hitler invaded Russia in, in 1941, and he was determined to take the city of Stalingrad. And he, he threw the might of the German 6th Army and German Panzer Divisions against this one city. But the Russian citizens and soldiers there held out for over six months and the entire German 6th Army, Army, they were all killed or taken prisoners of war. It's a massive defeat. It was the first defeat for the Germans in World War II and it was a massive defeat. But one Russian officer gave this reason for their endurance and, and when I read this, it was almost like, man, that's a word from God. And so I'm going to share it with you. He said, we Russians were ideologically prepared for the battle of Stalingrad. Above all, we had no illusions about the cost, and we were prepared to pay it. I mean, if you want to know how to run your, ra your race, that's how you run your race. You must have no illusions about the cost and be prepared to pay it. And you get that from looking to Jesus who 
endured the cross and the shame of the cross. You get that kind of of hardness as a soldier that keeps you going on from looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus, we also see the importance of looking to the joy that God has in store for us. Jesus, it says, endured the cross for the joy set before him. He was looking to the glory and joy that would come after the suffering of the cross. So Jesus focused on the joy that was set before him. He focused on the joy of saving people. He he focused on the joy of saving you and saving me. Spurgeon felt that that was the primary joy that Jesus set before him, the joy of saving people like you and me. He focused his heart on the fullness of joy of being at the Father's right hand. So he endured the cross by faith, looking to the joy ahead of him. The anticipation or the expectation of future joy in God is the driving power of our endurance. Jesus described heaven as, in one of, one of the parables or stories that he told, he, he described heaven as an invitation to come and share in the joy of your master. That's what heaven is. Heaven is an invitation to come and share in the joy of your Father. Heaven will be sharing in the Father's joy for all eternity. And the biggest problem for some of us is that we have no real expectation that joy, joy unspeakable, is ahead of us. And so we're, we're not looking at the joy set before us. Well, that's how Jesus endured And that's the only way that you're going to run your race well. If you learn to fix your heart and your expectation and get your anticipation up for the joy that is set before you. There will be pie in the sky. <laughs> I remember I remember Mary sharing it at one of our life groups how some people were making fun of her faith by saying, oh, you, just, you Christians just believe in pie in the sky. And Mary said, there better be pie in the sky. <laughs> and there will be. There's joy, unspeakable joy set before us. And we, we need to set that, set our minds and our hearts on that. You know, for some of us, I think the thing that we probably need to learn most is that joy is found in God. You know, some of, some of us just keep going in circles and keep thinking that joy is really found elsewhere. We know theoretically it's found in God, but we kind of keep thinking it's found elsewhere. And so we just keep flailing and stumbling and not running our race well. 
The thing that we need to learn most is that joy is found in God and fullness of joy will be ours in his presence forever. And then then we go run our race for the joy that is set before us, just like Jesus did. Clearly, the most important takeaway this morning is to look to Jesus. He is our living hope. We we have a song that says that. He's, He's our living hope. Love Jesus. Trust Jesus. Look to Jesus. And you will find the strength and the encouragement and the inward revival that you need to keep running your race, no matter how long, no matter how hard your race is. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how painful, the answer is always the same. It's to look to Jesus. It's always the same. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes.